let's go to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. We'll pick up where we left off last week, and then we'll use that as a launching pad to tie this series up. So go to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, and I'll read it. And because of all of this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. So we find here in the very last verse of chapter 9, what has taken place? Well, they have begun a new year, according to their calendar year, they're 23 days in, and they have decided to uh, read the Bible 25% of the day, right, that's a lot. So 25% of the day they're reading the Bible. Another 25%, uh, it says here in the story that they're confessing and repenting and praising the Lord. So half of their day is spent around the Word of God and worshiping the Lord in their new year, 23 days in. And what happens? They make a covenant. What happens? They finally decide to live the way they're supposed to live. Go back and listen to last week's message. Uh, or go in the room over there and watch it live on Facebook right now. Uh, and, and the point is this. The, the point is, is the word of God is doing work. It's doing the heavy lifting in their heart. And last week's message was, uh, what happens? What does reading the Bible actually do? Well, it produces fruit in your life. It produces a change. And the change that takes place is they are making a covenant. They are making a covenant and a promise. So this is where we leave off. They are making a promise to obey the law of God. So let's fast forward. We see right there the end of chapter 9 going into chapter 10, all of the names and those that were a part of sealing this covenant. I mean, they wrote it down. Sealing this promise that they were making to uh, obey the law and align themselves with what God wanted, and that included separating from all of these other pagan nations. So we find in chapter 10, verse 1, all of these names down to 27 who were a part of this sealing of the covenant. And we find in verse 28, look at Nehemiah 10, 28, as we walk through this, and the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge, that's key, and having understanding. So we find that the people know what they are supposed to do. They had separated themselves and were doing the right thing. So they've separated from the world. This was a per-the-law basis. This, uh, this, this keeps them a secure nation. So let me remind you that Nehemiah... What, what this whole book is about is him coming to his home country, his hometown, Jerusalem, that had just rebuilt the temple, and he was rebuilding the wall, uh, shoring up the city limits, the gates that were around it, so that they could operate and live and act in such a way, again, uh, as uh, the law of Moses directed them to act as a people. And so this, this wall that, that put up uh, was, was to keep the enemy out, was to keep the other nations out, but to keep those that were within safe and secure to do the work that God had called them to do. So a major part of this we're going to find is the theme of them separating from these other nations, uh, which is one of the challenges that Nehemiah faced early on. Remember his arch enemies? Uh, what was one of their names? Do you remember? Sandy. Sandballot. We, we named him Sandy. And then who remembers one of the other ones? Toby. 
like Michael Scott's arch enemy in the office, right? Toby. So Toby, uh, Toby's been around for millennia. He plagued uh, Nehemiah before he ever plagued Michael Scott. And so we find Toby in this story. What was one of the major issues that Toby was causing? He was uh, sending his sons and daughters really into the Israelite camps to intermarry so that he could get uh, and have a part of in the leadership of this community. And we find that he was more of a half-breed. He had some, uh, if you think about the Samaritans, that nation. And I'm, in this context, we can't look at it through the lens of, of 2020. We have to look at it through the lens of what it meant back then. Uh, understanding that back then what was important was Yahweh was the God of Israel and all these other nations had the gods of their nations. So it was important that the law would protect, and, and it's similar to our border, right? Our nation's border. Uh, some people think we don't need a border. Some people think we don't need a wall. Uh, some people do. We're not going to politicize a wall just like we're not going to politicize a virus. Welcome to Bethlehem Church. Uh, so anyway, the point is, is this, that, that borders are there for specific reasons, and those rules protect. So we have to look at it in that context. Not just the context of like, Racial reconciliation, whereas, uh, you know, when I was growing up, uh, there wasn't interracial dating as much where I'm from, right? And, and we have made huge steps in that way towards racial reconciliation, and it's not a big deal. Uh, my daughter could absolutely uh, date someone of another race, of another color. I married a Spanish woman. I'm not a pope. My wife's maiden name is Delgado. This isn't about uh, interracial dating. Right? This is about nations, borders, other gods of other nations, and that uh, basically tearing down the fabric of what God was building. You have to understand that if it was not the God Yahweh, the one true God, and it was a pagan God, you have to understand what went along with pagan rituals. The, the uh, relationships, the, um, all of the incredible idolatry, and I mean, we're talking like wicked, evil things and sacrificing children and, I mean, crazy stuff, right, went along with worshiping these other pagan nations. So the, one of the first things in the, in the law of Moses is have no other God before you. I'm the one true God, right? So we have to consider that these boundaries that were being laid, it wasn't because they didn't like people of other races. It was, this was a country, national issue that you were to have borders because your God is Yahweh. Your God is not the God of these other nations that are turning people astray. My, my God, my one true God, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, is passing down the word of God that will govern you as a people and will one day, watch this, bring redemption to all the other nations. God calls one nation to live by one word, the word of God, under one true God, so that that God could come in flesh, human form, and save the entire world. So an exclusive plan for an inclusive gospel at the end. So if there was no border, if there was not uh, the separation, then consider, would there have been a pure line for our Savior to come through? No. Uh, and, and then think about all of their dietary laws. Think about all of the restrictions that we look back and read, and we're like, why would they do those things? They're not for us now. They were there to protect them. 
They were there to keep them from disease. They were there to keep them a pure people so that they would be around when Jesus was there to come as a lion of the tribe of Judah. That's why it was important to have borders. That's why it was important for them to have separation, not just on, uh, on multiple levels, and that's what we're seeing. So Nehemiah was specifically, during this time, making, getting them to a place where the word of God worked on their heart, and they were like, yes. We are going to do this. We are going to follow through. We are going to separate ourselves. Our sons and daughters are not going to marry those that do not believe the way we believe. And this is something that I would say to this day. It's not a race issue, but it is a, a, a idea of, of biblical can two walk together except they be agreed. I want my daughter to marry a Christian. I don't care what color they are. I care what's in their heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on their heart. I don't, I don't care what they look like, how athletic they are. I just want my future son-in-law and daughter-in-law to have a heart for the Lord, to have a desire to serve the Lord. That's what I care about. That's the type of separation that I want. That's how I raise my daughter. That's the conversations I have with her almost every other day, if you will, when we're continuing to train her to have discernment and think through these things. We let her watch uh, the Prince's Diaries, right, and Prince's Diaries too, and then we use those as, as conversation opportunities after the fact to say, now that's not real life, right? Yeah, you like the fact of, uh, of being a princess of Genovia. We were just talking to her about this the other day. Uh, you know, and, and it's this like really crazy awesome thought as a seven-year-old little girl, but that's not reality. Reality is, is that your daddy's princess, and in our kingdom, you need to look for the knight in shining armor that loves the sword of the spirit, right? And, and so we bring her to reality, and we, we teach her, and we train her what it means uh, to find someone that she can agree with, spiritually speaking. So this is more of the context, and so Nehemiah gets them to this place where they're making a decision not to marry based on what they see, but based on what God leads them into through God's law, okay? So, so that's the context of, of where we are. They're separating themselves. But we know that Toby, from the beginning, has been angling and scheming and trying to send his sons and daughters into the camp in order to achieve an inside position and, and, and disrupt the work of God. All right, so let's continue to... Uh, walk through this passage. Go to Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 3, right? So we find there the covenant that they make. They're going to stay separate. The conditions of the covenant are extended to those in chapter 10 that understand, that know what they're supposed to do. And then uh, there's lists of all of those that are rulers and the different tribes. It, it, hello? Uh, <laughs> different tribes and, and, and those that are present in the city during this time. And then priests that are there, that are doing the work of the Lord, the Levites that are there, and we have record of all of them here. And then we're moving into chapter 13. So chapter 13, verse number 3, and we're going to walk through and you're going to see what I'm seeing, right? So chapter 13, as we finish up, this is the last chapter, verse number 3, look at it. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. So that is what we've been talking about, right? When they heard the law, they were separated. They were doing what they were supposed to do. But Toby, Engelin, that guy, that stinker, 
Watch it. Look at verse number four. This is crazy. I mean, what I'm about to read to you is insane. The way that this story is going to take a crazy turn. I love the Bible. It's, it's, it's awesome. Look at verse four. And before this, on, on the outside, the, the, the word of God is working, and they're following the covenant. They're obeying. They're doing what they're supposed to be, keeping their distance. But verse number four, and before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God was allied unto Tobiah. Oh my goodness. Toby, he got it, he got the keys to the inside. How did this happen? Are you serious? Yeah, let's keep reading. And he had prepared for him, the high priest prepared for Toby a great chamber. Where aforetime they had laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of the corn, new wine and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priest. Oh, my goodness. But check this out. Verse number six. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. Who's the I? Nehemiah. Was not I at Jerusalem? For in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I a leave of the king. Oh my goodness gracious. So, so let me get this straight. My man Nehemiah was led of the Holy Spirit. Remember all that? We've gone through this. This is like our 10th, 11th week studying this book. Nehemiah prayed. He fasted. He was wrecked about his hometown. They had rebuilt the temple, second temple erected, and they just they didn't have protection from their enemy. They didn't have a wall. And so Nehemiah leverages his position. Right, All of those resources that he recruited and that his boss, his king, had given him through the forest, all the timber to rebuild the wall, all the people he recruited onto the project in 52 days. My main man was used uh, to put this wall together. He leads them to, to put Ezra, the high priest and scribe, on a pulpit of wood to read the word of God. They started out the new year right. They made a covenant, and then it was time for him to go back to his job. It was time for him to go back to his position as cupbearer. And when the cat's away, the mice will play. Can you imagine? Let, let's walk down memory lane. He didn't take a salary. He reinvested the governor's portion of his food. Remember, he opened up his table for hundreds of them to eat in his house. He's the one who helped stock this very chamber that the high priest allowed Tobiah in. Can you, what treachery? I set this, I helped set the system back up. I helped put this thing back together. I helped build this wall. I mean, can you imagine the betrayal that he felt? This is how the story ends. And literally his arch enemy that he had already run off was like, yeah, <laughs> how about some of that new wine over there? This is pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, there's not enough room for the Levites and the singers and the porters in here. Where's my kids at? Somebody change the chain. Where's the remote? Toby is in the inner chamber eating the food that was for the priest. I mean, I wish, I want to go back and play on that Netflix documentary, Nehemiah's face when he walked in the door. 
can you imagine? Now go to the text. Go to the text. And I perceived, verse 10, that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. The Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. Not only was my main man in there eating their food, drinking their drink, hanging out in their uh, little studio apartment, but the Levites and the people that were there to govern the people spiritually didn't have their own food in their portion. They were going out into the field just so that they had enough to feed their families because they weren't being taken care of. Dude, my man is hot. You, you better know. This is going places. I'm going to get my new preaching method from this passage, and you're going to see it here in just a minute. Then contended I with the rulers. I bet he did. That's a wonderful way. How would we word that in 2020? Then I went off. Then I said, we about to have a problem right now up in here. Then I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? I leave for five minutes. Are you kidding me? I'm back doing my thing. I done gave my whole retirement for you fools to be up in here giving it all back away to the enemy that I done ran off six months ago. What is going on? My mama done got the belt. I contended, and I gathered them together, and I set them in their place. Levites, singers, get in here. Okay, Nehemiah. Then brought I all Judah, the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil into the treasures. And I made them treasures over the treasuries. Shalimiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, the leader. He, he's setting it in order. Look back up here. I think this is funny. Look at verse 7. And I came to Jerusalem. I just had to revisit this. And understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah, preparing him a chamber in the court of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. <laughs> Nehemiah's like, you got an eviction notice and go ahead and say something. All your stuff is on the lawn. You better get it and get out of here. For I put this size 12 up your hind end. He evicts him out of the house of the Lord. Can you imagine? Just what he wanted to hear. Just how he wanted the report to be that, well... How's it going in Jerusalem? Um, you ain't going to want to hear this. You might want to take the fastest Uber camel over to Jerusalem, bro, because it's not, it's not going well. What do you mean? Well, you remember Toby? Do I ever. That guy, what a knucklehead. That's putting it lightly. Yeah, he's pretty much living in God's house. Yo, get me an Uber quick. I'm going to Jerusalem. And he throws the stuff on the lawn. He can't believe it. Nehemiah starts to put things back in order. Think about this. This is insane. Look at verse number eight. It grieved him sore. Verse nine, he commands for the, the chamber to be cleansed. Look at verse 15. It, it, it gets better. It gets better. If, if that was all that was going on, that would have been enough. But it gets better. Look at this verse. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the what? What happened to 23 days of reading the word of God? And we're, we promise to do everything the way the Lord wants us to do it. Hey, remember the Sabbath day and keep it what? Which means they weren't supposed to be doing any kind of work like that. It was the day of what? Rest. Shabbat. Rest. Look what they were doing. 
bringing in the sheaves, lading asses, sounds like work, as also wine, grapes, figs, and all manner of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. I bet he did testify against them. It gets worse. Nehemiah not only sees the house of God made a den of thieves, if you will. I think about Jesus cleansing the temple, right? Not only did that happen, then the Sabbath day rolls around, and guess what he sees? Nobody's treating it like the Sabbath. Everybody's running around doing their own doggone thing. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass that when the gates, of, we're going to come back to this, but it came to pass when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I, set I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath. What was happening is they were leaving the gates of the city open and all the surrounding communities were coming in and selling their stuff on the Sabbath day. Mm-mm-mm. Verse 23, verse 23, look at it. In those days also I saw, this is, I'm, I'm getting to my new sermon, my preaching method, it's coming, you're about to see it. Verse 23, Nehemiah says, in those days also I saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and of Ammon and of Moab. What about all that talk about being with people who believe the way we believe? Not only are you, you're not resting on, during your Shabbat. Not only are you leaving the gates open during the Sabbath and everybody's coming in here running amok. Not only did Eliashib give the keys to my arch enemy to come in here and munch on everything that was set aside for the priests. But doggone if you're not letting all your kids run around marrying people who believe in other gods. Oh, he's fed up. You ready for it? Look at the next verse. 20, look at verse number 25. My man goes off. And I contended with them and cursed them. You know, every now and then a preacher just needs to let, through, let, let a few cuss words out. You know what I'm saying? Every now and then, it just, you just got to say it. <laughs> and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. And I made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. This is a great preaching method. What do you think? We're going to video all of you doing stuff that you shouldn't. And when you come in here, I'm going to pull all your hair out and say, all right, straighten it out. You go back out and you do better this week. You hear me? <laughs> I mean, literally, Nehemiah's like, all your sons and daughters are running around marrying women and men from other nations. You yourselves are taking wives. You're, you're literally just working on the Sabbath. What are we doing? Don't you remember chapter 9 where they were like, oh, God, our fathers, they were. They were horrible. We won't be bad. And Nehemiah's like, come here. Mm. Yeah, you're going to need a wig. How about I pull your hair out, make a wig, and give it back to you, huh? You don't even deserve to have hair. <laughs> My man went off. That's preaching. Yeah. Y'all think this is preaching. No, Nehemiah was like, hey, I'm going to contend with you. Come on. You're getting in the octagon with my man. He'd had enough. This is how this book ends. It's so weird. So strange. Couldn't we have just ended at chapter 9 and all of God's people, they promised and they all lived happily ever after. This ain't no Disney story. <laughs> Nehemiah leaves for a couple months and comes back and he's like, uh-uh. <sighs> Pulling hair. Look at verse number 29. 
Remember them, oh my God. So he quickly positions himself apart from. Remember them. Why? Because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Verse 30. We'll read 30. The last one, 31. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to help you a little bit. And then we're going to be on our way. Look at verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 30. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers, appointed the words of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business. And for the wood offering, at times appointed, and for the first fruits. Watch this. This is how he ends. This is the whole book ends right here. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Man, what an incredible story. What an incredible ending. A weird ending. But he puts it all back in order. Puts it all back in order. Sets it straight again. And then says, remember them that trashed it. And remember me for the good that I've done. What are some things that we can learn? This is super practical. These are things that I needed. I hope they're things that you needed. Here here are my closing thoughts on this whole story, this whole book, everything kind of coming into view here. Remember, what was the wall for? What was the purpose of Nehemiah to build that wall? Seclusion from the enemy and inclusion of the people of God for the work of God, right? That was the purpose. Keep the enemy out. And keep God's people in, working and doing in a safe place. Is that how they continued when he left? No. So listen to this. Romans 5.12. Does anybody know that verse? Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. What an incredible verse that basically says that Adam came by man. Sorry, of course he did. (laughs) That was his name. (laughs) Sin came by Adam, rather, and now that sin nature is passed upon all men, and that's why death is present in the world. Do we wonder why bad things happen? Well, sometimes, but does the Bible tell us? Absolutely. Do you know that sin is present in the world? I heard of a horrific story this week of a five-year-old boy just riding his bike and his next-door neighbor walking over, putting a gun to his head, killing him. That's, let me help you with something. That's evil. That's horrific evil. And evil is present in our world. It is. It doesn't take long. One little walk through our city, through our community, through our towns. Evil is present. You need as a Christian a context, a worldview to process that through. And what is it? It's sin. Not just their specific sin. Guess what? Your sin my sin. We all collectively have sin that causes problems, and so death that happens would not have happened if it hadn't been for sin. So it's good for us to be able to process our worldview through the context of the Bible and understand that death comes because sin is present in our world. So what does that mean for us in this story in Nehemiah? Things don't always go as planned. One thing, I I just pinned down a few thoughts here. And coming to the end of this story, I just think about Nehemiah. And I think things just did not go as he planned it. Did you see that? Imagine when he got word about the mess that the house of God was in. The mess that they had made of it. The first thing, I mean, he was a governor in this role, in this position. He was there when they sealed their covenant and their promise. Nehemiah was a paperwork, logistics guy. 
the first thing he's going to do is contend with them and let them know that they didn't keep their word. But ultimately, I think about where was he in those quiet moments? Sometimes we have to understand that things don't always go as planned. I, I can easily be the, the pastor, the motivator, the rah, rah, rah. Let's go get it. Let's win. Let's do. But you know what? There are seasons in our church that wipe us out. It wasn't that long ago that these pews were filled. We were talking about having two services because of growth, not because of like a pandemic and for fear of our elderly. My wife's great aunt passed away last night from COVID. It's, it's, it's tough. Watch this church and maybe you need this message now more than ever. Things don't always go as planned. I think I gave last week a word about God being with you in the wilderness, which is a powerful word that when you have consequences of your sin, God is still there. Listen, when God leads you to do something awesome in your life and it doesn't go as planned, watch this, God is still there. I don't know who needs to hear it this morning, maybe online, but things don't always go as planned. I think sometimes we think because we're conditioned by the culture that the Bible has to have a Disney fairy tale ending. The Bible tells the truth. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. It didn't go as planned for Nehemiah. Let's not understate that. The second thing I see, look at verse number six, right there, chapter 13, verse number six. But in the time that I was not in Jerusalem, not only do things not go as planned, but the true test of a person's character is what they are when no one is around. What do I find in this text? I find that a true test was not the promise that they made, but the true test was when the leader was away. So I say this to you in admonition, don't be those people. Don't be the people that only do what's right, that only follow through the fast, that only keep your promises and your covenants to God when other people know about that. Your character is, is a test to who you are when your leader is not around. And that's also helpful for us that lead people. Who are you discipling? Don't judge. Don't judge how your disciple or how that person that God is using you to lead, don't judge how they're doing when you're right there. Give space and then see how they're actually really doing. I feel like my wife and I, we feel like this has been a season of space. I think the church is going to go through a big purge. I think the church globally is going to go through a season where a lot of people don't come back. Why? Because they were here for the wrong reasons. The people who stay through COVID are the people whose character is intact. Because you are who you say, you, you are what you are when no one is around. If there's anything that this season has revealed, it's that. The true test of a person's character is what they are when no one is around. Here's the third thing I see, and this is what I told you I was going to come back to. Look at verse 19. This is extremely helpful. This helped me in so many ways, and I don't want you to miss this point. Look at verse 19. This is wisdom from Nehemiah. And this is wisdom that will help you in your marriage, in your child room. This is wisdom. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded the gates to be shut. Don't miss this, okay? The work of God is never finished in our lifetime. 
sin is present until until Jesus comes back, whatever your eschatological timeline is, until the Lord eradicates sin completely for, from our world, from our earth, problems will continue and the work of God will never be done. Whatever God's called you to do, it will not be a finished work until you pass away or until the Lord comes back. Okay, so the work of God is never finished in our lifetime, but the works... Don't miss this, that God is leading us to do can help us during our lifetime. Let me explain. Nehemiah finished the wall and then left. But was the work done? Answer me that. Yes or no? No. Well, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. The very thing that God called Nehemiah to do was the very thing that Nehemiah leaned into to fix the problem. Here's, 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 where this, here's where this gets sideways. I, I worked so hard with them. I, I gave. I, I helped them. I, I gave them hundreds of thousands of dollars. How many people have we helped through the years? How many walls have we constructed? How many times are they going to insult me? How many times? Listen, of course Nehemiah set things in order. But what we have to understand is Nehemiah didn't come back and set the wall on fire. Nehemiah didn't come back and with a bulldozer knock it all down and say it was all for naught. It didn't matter at all. No, he came back and he said, close the gate. You, you literally, it's the Sabbath day. You're letting people in. You're not using what God has called you to do for the purpose that God has. And when things don't go as planned, don't set it all on fire. Use what you've accomplished for the work of the Lord. The money that you gave is not for naught. Use that to the advantage for the work of the Lord. What God has called you to do, who God has called you to reach, will not go as planned. Someone's character is who they are when their leader is not around. And God will use what you're doing for his advantage and not your own. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. How many Christians have quit through the years? How many Christians have come back to a scenario and a situation that wasn't like it was when you left it? Don't light it on fire. Don't collapse the very thing that God helped you build. Just use it the way God intended it to be. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. In your marriage, I just can't believe I feel so betrayed. Don't light the marriage on fire. Don't continue to heap on your head coals of fire. Just use it. Start now. Start fresh. Close the gate. It's a marriage that can be God's tomorrow, even if it wasn't today. When things don't work out, it's okay. Let God use your marriage for his good moving forward. Man, we really screw that up, don't we? In our anger, in our turmoil, we walk away from something that God used us to build. Just close the gate. Just move forward from this point moving on. I promise you the purposes. Are God's purposes. And that leads me to the last point. Ultimately, Nehemiah's actions were for the Lord. And that is where his rest is found. What does he say in verse 31? Remember me, O God. Remember them for what they did, but remember me for what I'm doing. Why? Because I'm not doing it for them. What is he saying? I'm doing it for who? For you. Ultimately, I built this wall for you. 
ultimately my rest is found in you. That's how this book ends. Listen, if you got to pull some hair out, pull some hair out. If you got to drop kick them Jesus through the goalposts of life, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, you should be doing it for the Lord. At the end of the day, I don't like the way this season is going, but I'm not going to light the whole thing on fire. Why? Because I'm doing it for the Lord, and ultimately, I know he has a plan and a purpose, and I know he's going to use it. Even, I read an article about church planting maybe six, seven months ago, and it was the idea that this church plant was, it was a failure. And uh, ultimately, this guy came, he toiled for five or six years, and ultimately, the people that had funded him shut his funding off, and they had to close the doors. Um, but the man, I think it was, he witnessed one of fellow to Christ who ended up starting a church that took off. So was it really a failure? Absolutely not. What looks like a failure to us is just God's plan. And if ultimately we just say, remember me, Lord, I'm doing this the way you want me to do it, which means my success or failure is defined by your definition of it, not my own. We, we have to, man, we are such a success-driven society. I built the wall 52 days, going back to work. Did you hear what they did? Oh, let me get in there and shake them up. I mean, I get it. I really do. There's many a time in the ministry that you get frustrated with people. You get frustrated with the work of the Lord. But guess what? It ain't my work. It is, but it isn't. Let's just close the gate. Let's start today. Because things don't always go as planned. How about we contextualize this for 2020? You ready? You ready for this? I send you home with these two verses. And man, I, after months and months of being conditioned by my wife to end the service early, to not preach for an hour, it's finally working, babe. It's finally working. We're going to land the plane here, and you're going to have minutes to spare. Let me contextualize this for us. Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. When we contend in 2020, when we're building walls and things aren't going as planned, Paul says in our context, we're not wrestling against Toby. We're wrestling against the, the Satan. We're wrestling against the accuser of the brethren. We're wrestling against the father of all lies. We're wrestling against the imps and powers of hell that are doing their best to pull every person they can away from the strong arm of the Lord. So ultimately, listen, if you're wrestling against those crazy principalities and powers, we have to rest in the Lord. We have to let him have control over what we have. And we can't be control freaks. Because you ain't wrestling against your neighbor. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Play that harmonica. You're wrestling against them. Let me commission you with this. Mark 16, 15 through 20. And he said unto them, his disciples, Jesus to his disciples. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak new tongues. They shall take up serpents. 
And if they drink in deadly things, they shall not be hurt. I'll be drinking snake poison next week, okay? They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. We have been commissioned with the great commission. We are building and working in the context of the church. Let's not forget these truths that close the chapter of our study on the book of Nehemiah. I wonder how many incredible works. I wonder the gifts that the Holy Spirit of God has given you, but you're allowing them to lay dormant because you're trying to do it on your own. What could the Lord do in Middle River if we just give him our gifts and let him build? And if we know that not everything works out the way as planned, but we're going to allow him to work in our lives and we're going to continue to work until Jesus comes. And we're going to give him the glory for every ounce of every little thing that he does. That's where we can be today. You know, there's a lost and dying city. A lost and dying neighbor. Let's stop, start talking about the lost and dying world for a minute and just realize that it's all around us. We are so sidetracked with whatever is on the news and whatever is on what your phone. This is the problem. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The answer to every problem is the gospel. The gospel, that's the answer. How can we be a builder of a men's soul this week, of a lady's soul this week? How can we, through the Great Commission, reach someone this week with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I pray that God uses us in a mighty way to accomplish his gospel and his work. If you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor Matt, I've gotten, it's okay, what I'm going to ask you, it's okay. I've been discouraged. I've been discouraged in the work of the Lord. Things haven't gone as planned. But today, I'm going to give it to the Lord. Here's my hand. Just show him this morning. Just say, God, here's my hand. I'm giving it to you. It hasn't gone the way I've wanted it to go. Maybe even I've taken a little bit too much control. Maybe I wanted to just burn the whole doggone thing down and I didn't, I didn't want to go to back to church. I didn't want to talk to my kids about Jesus. I didn't want to continue my marriage. I didn't want to do any of it. I just, it's not going as planned. Listen, don't, don't burn it down. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's okay to take, take a step back, take a breath. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not, we're not jarring and fighting with each other. Don't let the devil get in the why don't we commend to the Lord? Just say, God, remember me. God, give me strength this week. Pray it right now. Say, God, give me strength. God, through your spirit, do something through me this week. Help me to build. Maybe you've already done it and it's been torn down. It's okay. Just come back in and close the gate. Let God work. Let God move this week in your heart. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. If you want to pray, we have just a couple minutes. If you want to come down, you can. If you want me to pray with you, I can pray with you this morning. 
Let's just take some time real quick before we run out and continue our week. Let's pray. Let's commit our spirit. Maybe, maybe it's something, someone, maybe someone that God is, is leading you to reach. And maybe you need to get recommitted in that. Why don't you use this time right now? Recommit to the Lord. Your commitment, your covenant, and don't go back on it. God, use me to reach that person. Maybe it's you. Maybe you've wandered far from God. Maybe your character has revealed itself and, and you're struggling. It's okay. It's okay. Confess it for sin. He'll lead you to having stronger character. Just pray. Take some moments right now. Pray, Lord, please, God, help me this week. Lord, forgive me where I failed you. Lord, work through me with your spirit. Grow me in your word. God, just please, I pray, bring value and worth to what I'm doing. If you don't go before me, if you don't work through me, Father, it's all for naught. Father, use this passage of scripture. Use this book to teach us, to instruct us. Father, it's simply Jesus. He's everything we need. May we fulfill the Great Commission this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, thank you so much for tagging along with this series.